Acts chapter 8. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. That would be Stephen's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city, and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him, because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, continued with Philip, and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles, who were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying, of, laying on of the apostles' hands, the, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this, your wicked, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, that perhaps, if, perhaps the thoughts of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified, or so when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many, many villages of the Samaritans. Maybe seated. Well, good morning. Hopefully, you have your word open before you. Looking forward to diving in here this morning as, as kind of a preface to that. I was considering and thinking about this past year in our family's life. Uh, we, for about a year now, we've we've gone gone country. We've we've moved. We've been 
in the country, so to speak. And, I, and I've noticed maybe more so being in the country than I did in, a, in subdivision life. Um, these occasions when I'm driving on one of those uh, country roads and on a morning where you might drive into a, a, a thick patch of fog. Have you ever encountered any of those thick patches? And, and sometimes as you're driving along, you, you kind of have to use the, uh, the cornfields you know, as your markers for making sure you stay on the road as you're driving. And you, you, can't, you can't travel as, as fast when you see these patches of, of fog that seem to be in your way. Your pace becomes slower and, and, and that fog is just kind of puts you in this context of, of a, 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 you're in this uncertain mystery it's and it's just a patch it's not all over the place but when you're in it it's it's hard to see it's hard to be able to tell and to know exactly where you're at exactly where another car might be and so we got to slow down and we got to use some discernment use some wisdom especially when we're going through the fog but you know, I was, I was thinking about the one who created the fog. He's, and this is a praise. He's not intended for that fog to hang around forever. The fog, like the wind, like the rain, like the sunshine, cloudy skies. These are all manifested according to God's plan. And perhaps some of you here today, some of your days could be labeled windy, blustery, rainy. Or perhaps you sit here today and you are one who always seems to be partly cloudy. You know, there is another side to partly cloudy. Partly sunny. I'd prefer that one. And maybe at this point in your life, you, you feel like you're walking around in, a, in this giant fog. You can't quite see the next steps ahead of you. It's a bit frightening. Not able to see all things clearly. That, that foginess effect... Have you considered for just a moment that this may be God's way of slowing you down? Maybe he wants you to stop for a moment to assess your current situation. Maybe you have been traveling along in this life and now you find yourself in a place of uncertainty. I want you to know this morning that this too is according to God's plan. You see, as you turn to the text in Acts chapter 8, there's something to be said about navigating through a period of uncertainty. Traveling through what may seem to be a tough, foggy stretch on the road. The church, if you recall, had been operating 
for a time under sunny skies. Things were looking great. Life was wonderful. If you read Acts chapter 2, especially the end of Acts chapter 2, don't you get the picture of sunny skies and the church at Jerusalem? I do. Life together. The arrival of the Holy Spirit. Many were brought in. Fellowship was sweet. The teaching was sound. Prayers being offered up one for another. This was a church operating truly on all cylinders for the glory of the Lord. But it doesn't take long before you start to see the opposition rear its head. The council throws the apostles in prison for teaching in the name of Jesus, proclaiming Christ resurrected. Verbal threats turn into beatings. And still a church is praising the Lord. Did you notice that in Acts chapter 5? After they get beaten, they leave. They go back to their church folks and they are rejoicing that they have been counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. They counted it a privilege. And then Stephen comes along and the council has just had enough and stones fly, literally. I was thinking about just in terms of the weather aspect again, and there are times and occasions when hailstones fall from the sky. These are damaging stones, can be. Painful. And the church finds her sunny skies have turned to gray, dark clouds. It's pouring down now on the church. The text says that the church in Jerusalem was scattered everywhere. But in the midst of the rains, the text also says that they preached the word. Samaria, which happens to be the location for the text, much of the text today, is about to receive some light from the church at Jerusalem. One of the beams of light that come from this church in Jerusalem, he's making his way to the city of Samaria. There's this cold, dark, overcast city of Samaria. They are about to have their gloominess... Their fog, if you will, lifted. And the word of God, church, has the power to do that. The word of God. And this too is all according to God's plan. And we see, we've read this and it's important to read it again this week. But Acts 1, verse 8. Jesus says, you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria. And to the end. Of the earth. The early church. Had to weather many storms. From outside. And from within. But the character. And the nature of the early church. And the character. And nature of the church yet today. Is this. That the church that goes through cloudy skies, downpours of rain, foggy patches here and there. This seems to be more of the pattern of Christ's church. 
Christ's church is not guaranteed. I don't see it, at least in the scriptures. Not guaranteed sunny skies all their days. And yet, even in the midst of the hailstones that may come, the Holy Spirit's arrival has now made possible. The Holy Spirit's arrival has now made it possible to have, of all things, joy in the midst of the fog. Joy in the midst of the rain and the wind. You see, I believe this is according to the plan of God. Praise the Lord. That we can have this joy even in the midst of unsettling times. Well, the report on the text today, we hear about Philip. Philip is a representative of the Lord, one of the seven, appointed in Acts chapter 6. A representative of the Lord and the church at Jerusalem. He takes the word of God to the city of Samaria. Light comes to town, dispelling the clouds of gloom and despair that for so long had been abiding in that place. That darkness had been abiding in that place, thanks in large part to a man named Simon, a sorcerer. Who had found his niche, it seems, with the people in Samaria, establishing quite a business, it seems, quite a following of people, young and old, were attracted to this man. He seemed to have a way with people, or at least his works seemed to have a way with the people. When the light of Christ is preached in Samaria, the people believe and receive this good word, and according to the text, they are baptized. The report is heard back in Jerusalem, and Peter and John come to observe what the Lord is doing in his church through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit is poured down upon the believers in Samaria. And Acts 6 verse 8, which we ended with last week, Acts 6 verse 8 is actually the result of what happens today in the text. And there was great joy in that city. You see, when the word of God is preached, and the word of God is believed upon and received in the name of Jesus Christ, great joy is the result. The church of Jesus Christ is opened now, here in Acts 8, to the Samaritans. And you might be inclined to ask, Jews and Samaritans in the same church? Really? I mean, surely they, you know, as much disagreement and hatred that existed for such a long period of time between these two groups, surely not in the same church. Maybe, maybe that parable that Jesus taught about the good Samaritan wasn't just 
a story after all. Maybe that parable was really opening the eyes to what was to come. The Samaritans are welcomed into this church too. Jesus said, we've read this, I'll say it again. Jesus said, I will build my church. Praise the Lord, he's leading. And I'm not. And you aren't. He is. You know, how it would help us all if we saw things through the lens of Christ in the scriptures. That his church, according to what we read in this book of Acts, his church is to be of one mind, of one accord, centered on Christ. The church headquarters may still be in Jerusalem. But the church, his people, the church has been scattered. And in God's initiative, there has been a a divine church plant going on, if you will. Now, I was thinking about this. You know, the church at Jerusalem, they were scattered. They, They didn't necessarily sign up as it is customary, it seems, today, many occasions. Parts of a church body will sign up, will volunteer, if you will, to go and help plant another church. I don't see that here in the text. There's not been plans for discussing a church plant. But according to God's plan, his church was going to extend beyond Jerusalem. There's a a word for the world to hear. A message from the king of kings. And he has equipped his church to put on display the manifold wisdom of God in his eternal purpose. That's Ephesians 3, by the way. The big picture here is God's eternal purpose. All of these things are according to God's plan, and I say amen to that. All these things are according to his plan. This text and the ones that follow are critical, church. Critical to understanding the history of Christ's church. Ask of the Lord how you are operating according to this pattern that's been established. This is the pattern that's been established. This pattern that is given to you for learning, admonition, This pattern is instructive for those of us in leadership as elders. But this pattern is also instructive for those of us serving in any capacity as a part of the body of Christ. Today's text is is not simply an encounter with Philip and Simon the sorcerer. It is that, but it is much more, I believe. Philip, as a representative of Christ is shining his light, he's using his giftedness. By the way, this giftedness is not something that he conjured up, it's something that the Lord gave him. He's speaking the word implanted in his own soul. He's being a witness to Jesus, Acts 1.8, with the power given to him. This is not about Philip. This is about Philip taking what's been given to him and stewarding it and maximizing it for the glory of the Lord. 
as parts of his church. That's exactly what you and me are to be doing as well. He's making disciples of the nations, right? Matthew 28. Teaching Samaria now what it means to make fishers of men. Well, look at the text. Really, if we were just going to outline and look at some portions of the text, 9, 10, and 11 seem to go together. 12 and 13. 14 through 17. 18 and 19. 20 through 23. A response in 24, and then a summary and a closure, if you will, in 25, and a setting of the stage for the next account in 26 through 40. Verses 9, 10, and 11 speak to Samaria's past. Now, it's interesting that in summary form, Luke has already given to us, as he's moved by the Holy Spirit... What went on in Samaria? Right, you got the general statement in verse 4, Acts 8, 4. Those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And then Philip, now we get some more specific. Luke, who is very specific oftentimes, he's very detailed. He's giving us a, an accurate rendering of this history. He speaks to Philip, who goes to Samaria. And if you see in verse 5 and 6 in particular, what? What he describes, he preaches Christ to them. And it says, the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Verse 7 gives us a picture of some of those miracles that, he, that happened there. And then we get the summer result in verse 8. Now we get to verse 9, and Luke goes backward. Goes backward in time. Goes backward to help us see and help us get a picture for this place called Samaria. This place that for some time had been captive. Had been dwelling in darkness. And we see that the church in Jerusalem had come up against trials. We noted from the council and they'd come up against imprisonments and beatings. And, and don't forget the discipline from within, the Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5 account, Right? And then more recently here in their history, the martyrdom of one of their own, Stephen. The church finds herself in the midst of persecution as you arrive here in Acts 8, 9, 10, and 11. But before describing the events of Philip's stay in Samaria, Luke is providing a report of what these things were like prior to Philip coming on the scene. Great joy hadn't always been characteristic of this city. Let me say this too. Great joy hadn't also, it's not also been a characteristic of your life and mine. That great joy comes as we come to know, as we come to believe and receive the good news message of Jesus Christ. As I see Samaria in its past, a better way to describe the situation there would be despair, would be great bondage. 
And, you know, I was reminded here of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 gives us a picture in verses 1, 2, and 3 of what life for us was like before God in his rich mercy intervened. Here's what it's like. Let me just give you a snapshot. Paul says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. We were walking according to a different leader. We were singing about Savior like a shepherd lead us earlier. There was a day when we walked not according to the Savior. Not according to our great shepherd. But we walked according to the prince of the power of the air. Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. See, we didn't have the spirit of Christ in us. All we had going for us was the lust of the flesh. There was no warring, no battling going on. That's the way we were operating. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath, just as the others. That, that, that church is the picture of who we once were, apart from Christ. I read that because it does remind me in Samaria, as I think about the darkness in Samaria before Philip comes on the scene. In many ways, I believe that was life in Samaria. And church, that's the way life always is apart from Jesus Christ, is it not? Dark. Without hope. Without God. Well, a certain man named Simon had been leading the people through sorcery, through magic arts. He astonished the people, young and old. With his magic. And he claimed that he was someone great. Here we find something out about this man Simon. Not only was he masterful with his magic. But we see that. We see a little glimpse and we get a little window into what Simon thought of himself. He thought he was someone great. The word that comes to mind is prideful. So we have this picture of this man, Simon, doing all of these works. And it isn't interesting, according to the text, that the city, they seem to put a label on this man as the great power of God. Now, whether they equated this man, Simon, as God, or whether they just saw his power being that which was given to him by God, by their view of God, their perception of God. The point is they held this man in very high esteem. Simon was the man of the day. What Simon says what they did. You've, surely you've played the game. 
Simon says. I believe in many ways the game was a reality in Samaria. What Simon said, what Simon did, people applauded and followed and took part, participated. They were captivated. And in case some of you here this morning are thinking, you know what, the text is talking about sorcery and magic. I'm, I don't, praise the Lord, I don't dabble in this and I'm not part of this. I don't, I don't have a desire for this. If that's you this morning, praise the Lord. But if that is you and that's your thought process and maybe you are right now turning off the text because this doesn't relate to you. Magic, sorcery, I, I, don't, I don't really know what it is. I, 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 don't, I don't practice it. I don't see it. I, 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 it's not around me. But there are a lot of things in this world today. The, the term today that gets thrown out a lot is the occult, right? Now that falls under the same general umbrella of what we're talking about here. Sorcery. Magic. By the way, sorcery, the Bible says, is an abomination to the Lord. Sorcery is one of those things in Galatians chapter 5. It'd be important to know. This is one of the works that are evident of the flesh. Sorcery is in that list. In Galatians 5 verse 20, I believe you'll find it. It's important to understand that what the text is speaking to about sorcery we could, from an application standpoint, very easily find something in your life that would fit. For you, it may not be sorcery. You may not be wowed by someone doing magic. But perhaps you are wowed by someone who can put a ball in a basket. Perhaps you're wowed by someone who can play a mean violin. Perhaps you're wowed by someone who just seems to have everything in order, everything just right, and they have the right kinds of healthy foods. Hey, I'm touching some strings this morning. I know I am. I'm putting the text in your lap. It's where it needs to be. I'm, I'm saying the text is speaking of Simon and his sorcery and his magic. But this text applies to the church, if we but for a moment will stop and pause and consider these arenas and these areas in which we commit ourselves, both feet, both feet, right in the water. And we too are wowed. We too are gripped. We too are right there with. You fill in the blank. What is it? You know. God knows. This is the picture. You know, thinking back on your own past may be quite painful for some of you. Your life apart from Christ was a, was a dark time. But God intervened at just the right time. 
And, and think, about, think about this as you look back. How God brought a, a sibling. Or God brought a, a, a godly grandmother. Or a, a coach. Or a, a teacher. A friend. Perhaps for some of you sitting here today, he brought your spouse. Someone that came into your life to shine the light of Christ. Church, this very thing is about to happen to the city of Samaria. They were once in darkness. But with the arrival of Philip, with the arrival of a willing This is not about Philip. It's the arrival of one who is willing, one who is surrendered, one who sees himself as a representative of Christ and his church. The darkness gets pierced and the light of Christ bursts onto the scene. Praise the Lord. Know that the same thing could happen today. Oh, that the same thing would happen even here at Hope in Christ. What I'm speaking of is not a program, church. It's a life. A life that is deeply rooted and grounded in a love for Jesus Christ. If you keep looking at the text... Verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Okay, so verse 12 is coming back to the present, kind of picking up where 5, 6, 7, and 8 left off, right? We get the past history, now we get back to the present. When they believed, when Samaria believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, that, that should ring a bell. The kingdom of God. That should ring a bell back to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ was all about preaching the kingdom of God. If we read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he's preaching the kingdom. The attitudes, the descriptors of what life in his kingdom is all about. There is a king in this kingdom. There is one who reigns in this kingdom and his name is Jesus. And in fact, it's interesting that that is also put forth here in verse 12. The one who reigns in this kingdom is Christ. And Philip is speaking to these very things. No doubt pointing to the Samaritans, these prophecies of old. Pointing them toward this Christ to come. This Christ that the Samaritans would have been familiar with, this Messiah they were familiar with. We read John chapter 4 last week. It gave us a little picture, a little glimpse of Samaritan life that they were holding out waiting for this Messiah. And Jesus tells that woman at the well, I am he of whom you speak. Philip now is pointing these Samaritans to this kingdom of God and pointing to them, pointing it out that this kingdom of God is about this king of kings. His name is Jesus. And I can just picture Philip speaking of the things of Christ, speaking of Christ's death, the atoning work of the cross, 
Keep in mind, these events that happened, weren't, they weren't too far removed from the cross. He's bringing to light these things for the Samaritans to hear. This is Samaria's glorious present. A few verses prior, we get their past. Oh, things were, were looking so good here. It's important that we understand that the church, not only is the church being scattered into various regions around Jerusalem, but they are currently being planted in enemy territory, so to speak. And it's interesting, even read in Psalm 23, David, as he's writing that psalm, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I was thinking about that in light of the text and how Philip is scattered and planted for a time to send a word that needed to be spoken to Samaria, who at the time were deemed enemies. Oil and water, they didn't want anything to do with each other. But we see God, this is all, when we think about it all according to God's plan, God's plan, he seems to have some different things in mind. His ways, Isaiah says, are, are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. Perhaps we ought to allow him to lead. This intermixing of religions that was going on for quite a time in Samaria, as many of their folks were transplanted, if you will, and taken into Assyria. And some of the Assyrians were transplanted in Samaria. And so you had this syncretistic, this mixture of religions. Yes, God was one of many. Come to Samaria and you get them all. That was sort of the lifestyle there. We see here in what's happened Verse 13, Simon himself also believed. So Luke is, is putting here out on the shelf this man Simon. He's described his life a little bit and how influential he was in the city of Samaria. Now Luke brings him forward as one who himself, he believed. And when he was baptized, he was baptized as well. Interesting. It says he continued with Philip and was amazed. The one who had been amazing the city of Samaria is now himself amazed. What's he amazed at? According to the text, he's amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. It's interesting here to note, church, what had comprised this life of Simon for so long, for such a long period of time, were the magic arts, sorcery, trickery, deception, wickedness, sin. That had been the pattern. 
You see, what he was accustomed to was having this power to gain an audience, to gain attention, gain a following, because after all, the text says he claimed to be somebody great. And now Philip comes on the scene. The light, can you just see it like, have you ever seen one of those big giant searchlights that just, they're going all over? The, but a focus light, Philip comes in. And he's one of the scattered from the church. And he comes in and he preaches Christ. Christ as the only way, the only truth, the only life. He's preaching a message that the Samaritans at least had in their barrel of goodies. But Philip is bringing a perspective that, you know, in this barrel ought to be one, ought to be Christ. All these other things in the barrel need to go because there is only one Philip would speak and preach. There is only one who has the power to save. There is only one who is coming and preaching the truth. You see, what you've been accustomed to, Samaria, Philip would say, is that you've been duped. You've been tricked by deceitful philosophies of man. He preached Christ to them. Well, look at the next section. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word... They sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen, he, he, that's the Holy Spirit, the person, the third person of the Trinity, he, the Holy Spirit is not it, Holy Spirit, he, I want to point that out, side note, okay, he, he had not, he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. All right, so right here, 14 through 17, we see that the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit. Word gets back to Jerusalem. Remember, look at the end of Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Who was in Jerusalem? The, the apostles, remember? There was a scattering except for whom? The apostles. The apostles remained in Jerusalem. So word gets back to Jerusalem. What's the word that got back to Jerusalem? The word that got back to Jerusalem was that Samaria, Samaria. You see, I believe Luke is instructing us here. He's just talked about Simon. But the word that got back to Jerusalem was not about one person. The word that got back to Samaria or back to Jerusalem was that there was a, a city that had received. And you know what? I especially enjoy Luke, how he pens these words here. Because he uses what I would just deem to be biblical terminology. Believe, receive. Right? They believed. And here we see in the text, in verse 14, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received, the word of God. John 1, 12 and 13, you'll read the same words. Believe and receive. Now, 14, 15, 16, and 17. 
you might be inclined. That this, th- these are verses that if we're not careful, you can remain in a fog for quite some time. And you could get stuck in 14, 15, 16, 17 and never get out of those verses. Because you might have questions. You might have these these ideas about how all this works. And boy, this doesn't seem right. I mean, they believed in Jesus. They were baptized in the name of Jesus. But yet they didn't get the Holy Spirit. Well, that doesn't seem right. Why, Why does Peter and John have to come down? Go up to Samaria. I mean, couldn't the Holy Spirit just come on them as, as Philip is preaching the gospel? No, he could have. I believe, though, there is important reason. Maybe there's more than one reason. But I would submit at least one good reason why Peter and John, as apostles, as representatives of the apostolic group, Remember, big picture. Sometimes we forget the big picture in the text. The big picture in this text is the church. The church. Not Philip, not Simon. The church. And so, if we keep the big picture in mind, we come to understand the importance of having Peter and John come down as representatives of the church. They're coming down God's representatives of his church. God is opening a door. And God is essentially saying here in the text, Samaritans, you're welcome. You're welcomed in too, Samaritan. This church, this church, and we see in Acts 1.8, it's not a church just in Jerusalem. Not in Jerusalem. A location. Stephen, didn't he preach and press that upon them as he was preaching the end of his message in Acts chapter 7? The Most High does not dwell in temple made by hands. And we see that now, as a believer in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ is within this temple, this body. Praise the Lord. So his church goes, moves forward. The Spirit of Christ goes Because the scripture also says, Jesus himself said that the spirit of Christ dwells within us forever. If we have the spirit of Christ and we are a child of his, wherever we go, wherever our location is, the spirit of Christ goes with us. The spirit of Christ is not contained into a structure. Well, we keep looking at the text. As representatives of the church, they come. Why would these two come? First of all, there's some good news here. That's first of all. I, I think they would be excited to, to see. They'd be excited to, to hear the testimonies. To observe the goodness of God in the lives in Samaria. But I also believe that Peter and John, as representatives of Christ in his church... would have desired to speak a word to those who believed in Samaria. To welcome them into this church of God. 
This church over which Christ is the head. What good fruit comes of that? Let me give you one. There are others, but this one is very significant and important to the life of Christ's church. Unity. Unity. Being of one accord. See, the, the representative leaders came down and the door was open. God had welcomed the, even the Samaritans in to his church. See the bigger picture in the text. It's not simply an account of Philip preaching and Simon. Let's be clear. Simon is one of many in Samaria. Many. And the word got back that Samaria had received the word. And we see that Peter and John, they come down, they they pray. What are they praying about? They're praying that they too might receive the Holy Spirit. And we see in the text that they have, as as of yet, when they come down, the Spirit had fallen on none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, but wait a minute, some of you are saying. I thought being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, that, that meant that I also get the Holy Spirit a part of that. If you read the book of Acts, and I encourage you to read the book of Acts, you're going to see a mixed bag of things happen. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down. No man in particular prayed for that to happen. God poured it out through the prophecy of Joel. Peter speaks those words, right, in Acts chapter 2 in his message. That the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out. That men and women, young and old, were going to prophesy. The Spirit was going to be poured out. And Peter's saying, this is what's going on. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. And you keep reading. And you keep reading. And you come to this text. And you keep reading in Acts chapter 9. Or even at the end of chapter 8, we'll get to next week with, with the eunuch. There's water and baptism and part of all this. And Acts chapter 9, Saul's going to be blinded. And there's this man, Ananias, who comes who's going to lay hands on Saul to restore his sight, but also to give the whole, there's going to be a Holy Spirit granted to him at that point. You see, there seems to be occasions in the book of Acts where laying on of hands is, in fact, we saw laying on of hands not too long ago in Acts chapter 6, when they laid hands on those seven, setting them apart for a ministry for a particular purpose. Not laying their hands on them necessarily to, to grant them the Holy Spirit. I'm pointing these things out to you because there's a mixture of what you see in the book of Acts. We'll get to Acts chapter 10 in Cornelius' home. And while Peter was speaking the words, the text says the Holy Spirit came on them. And they prophesied. In fact, it looked probably a lot like, the result looked a lot like what you see in Acts chapter 2. There was prophesying, there was speaking in tongues. If you fast forward to Acts 19, there's some men, about a dozen of them, who were disciples. And Paul comes on the scene and, and he sees that these men were disciples of the Lord. They had been baptized. What baptism? Into John's baptism. Okay. Well, John, John preached a good message. John had a good word. Let me tell you, let me give you some more clarity. We're to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And these men seem to be very open to that idea. They were baptized in the name 
of Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon them as they laid hands upon them. And again, that phenomena that you see in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10, prophesying, speaking in tongues goes on. I'm saying all this to say this, church. You can real easily get lost in verses 14, 15, 16, and 17 in Acts chapter 8. Trying to figure out to the nth degree exactly how God and the Holy Spirit works. And we can become masters at trying to box him in. There's a scripture that comes to mind right here. And it it has to do with Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. You probably recall this conversation. But it ties into this one who is of the Spirit. Jesus tells Nicodemus, he says, The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. And Jesus says, So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Church, let's not get lost in 14, 15, 16, and 17. I do believe there are some handles. What I am not saying, by the way, is that, oh, it doesn't really matter. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there are some truths. There are some patterns in the Scripture that we can hold to. Believing, receiving, those are biblical words, terminology that we can see in the text. There are some things, even in the midst of the text today in Acts chapter 8, that leave one on one side of the fence and on another side of the fence. The question that oftentimes comes as we come to Acts chapter 8, 9 to 25, is, was Simon truly saved? How many of you, come on, confess. How many of you have had that question come or you've heard that question talked about? Is Simon really a believer? I've got another question. Is that the point of the text? Is that the big picture point of the text? If that's what we're making it to be, I don't see that the big part of the text. It's a part of the text, but I don't believe it's the important part of the text. I got to move on. Look what happens when they lay hands, they receive the Holy Spirit, 18 and 19. Simon, when he saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. He offered them money, saying, give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, don't you just, it just makes you cringe when you read that. And there's two camps here. There are some folks who are quick to just cast Simon to hell. There are others who still breathe hope and life that Simon is a believer. When you read the text, does it amaze you? Let me ask this. Does it amaze you at all, that Simon is wowed by what just happened. This power that was exhibited. Does it, does it really surprise us that, that Simon 
moved in this direction and spoke these words. You see, we've got to remember something. The text says Simon believed. Simon was baptized. How many of you, I'm going to ask the question, just put it forward, you can answer it. How many of you, when you believed, when you were baptized, at that point, got everything right? Anybody? Raise your hand. I want to see it. I think there's something here in the text that as we look at the text, it's important that we operate in this text and see the text with this wisdom from above that's been given to us. This wisdom from above in James chapter 3 speaks of being pure and peaceable and gentle and willing to yield and full of all these characteristics. And I think about Simon and what he just saw and the laying on of the hands from the apostles and the Holy Spirit coming upon the scene. There had to be, think about it, there had to be something visible Simon saw to make his statement in 1819. He saw something different when the apostles laid hands upon these believers. Something different. And that something different was something that his, this, this old man reared, reared his head. How often does the old man in your own life rear its head? You know what I'm talking about, right? Old man, you know, put off the old and, and put on the new, right? Ephesians chapter 4. This very thing that he had been doing, this very thing he had been in control of for such a long time, now he's seeing his crowd leave. I have no reason to believe. The text says he believed. It's interesting that Simon, he put that in there, Luke did. Simon believed. Simon was baptized. Immediately after that, he sees this take place. And he speaks these words. Give me this power. You see, among sorcerers and magicians, it was common to pay somebody for one of their incantations. I'll give you some money if you can give me a formula. This was how they operated. So, Simon sees it, and he's, he wants this too. No doubt this comes out of the flesh. He wants the same power to be able to lay hands on somebody that they too may receive the whole. You see, Philip had, or excuse me, Simon had a wrong understanding of power and the spirit. He, he, he wasn't quite connecting the reality of who the Holy Spirit was, how he was to work, how he was going to operate. Look at 20, 21, 22, 23. Peter, rebuking here with the truth. Much needed rebuke. Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Mm. that gift of God is not purchased with money or any other thing, a merit, a work. That gift of God is not purchased with anything that we have to offer. Peter says, you have neither part nor portion in this matter. Why? This is instructive right here. Why? For your heart 
is not right in the sight of God. Peter's addressing the heart. He's addressing the heart. And notice, in addressing the heart, what comes immediately after? Addressing the heart. Repent, therefore. Repent of what? He labels it in the text, wickedness. But it's a three-letter word, sin. Again, I point back to the time when we believed, when we received, when we were baptized. We haven't always gotten it all right, have we? I find it encouraging that Peter calls him, he rebukes him, but he calls him to do what? Repent! To turn from his sin, to turn from his wickedness. Your heart, Simon, says Peter. It's not right in the sight of God. This attachment that you have had for such a long time with this thing called money, with this thing called sorcery, this attachment, this power, you need to understand something, Simon, that this desire for power and control, if you are going to be in Christ, you need to allow God to have control of your life. Let go of this desire to have power, to use it to your own purposes, for your own means. Isn't it interesting that Philip comes to town and he preaches a message that is not his own. He preaches a message that is not about Philip. He preaches a message that does not elevate Philip. For so long there had been a man in Samaria who had been doing those very things to elevate himself, to draw attention to himself. Church, the question goes out today, I believe, at least in part. Are you a part of Christ's church so that you can gain some kind of benefit? So that you can gain some type of control, some type of elevation over someone else? Are you surrendering your life, your control, Hey, you know what? That's a message in and of itself, isn't it? Control. I want control. I like control. Some of us like to have the controls. Simon was one of these individuals. Peter is rebuking him. He says, pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. You know what I see in the text? And he goes on, by the way. He ends in 23. For I see, I see, Peter says, that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Bound by iniquity. Poisoned. Those are hard, sharp words. But you know what? In the rebuke, 20 through 23, I see there in the rebuke, great hope for Simon. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Notice what Simon answers in 24. Simon, by the way, just as a, as a precursor to reading it, Simon, upon hearing the rebuke, could have done what the rich young ruler did. Remember what he did? What did he do? He walked away. Walked away sad. Why? Because he had 
great riches. He had the one thing that was a blockade, a stumbling block between he and a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He had done all these things from his youth. Well, what thing do I lack, he says. And he puts his finger right on the thing that lacks. And instead of being obedient to it, instead of being open to what Jesus has spoken, his head goes down, he's sorrowful, he walks away. Verse 24, Simon answered. He says, pray to the Lord for me. That none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. Now some can read this response from Simon as a cop out. Because after all, Peter had called him to pray. Is it possible? I'm putting it out here just for consideration. Is it possible? that in asking them to pray for him. That the Lord perhaps is pricking his heart. With some, it may be this small, it may be minuscule, with some level of understanding of God using Peter and John as his instruments, as his tools, in his church, And his desire is to allow them to pray for him with an understanding that their hearts are right with the Lord at this moment. Perhaps he too needs to pray. Yes, he too needs to repent. What I'm not advocating, and it needs to be very clear, I'm not advocating that what Simon has done is okay. No! Just as any sin that we would encounter in our own lives, we're called to confess that sin, to repent of that sin. Right? 1 John 1, 1.9 gives us a promise that if we do those things, what happened? First of all, we see God is faithful, right? He forgives us of our sins, but the rest of that verse is also instructive for us. As we walk with the Lord, as we sin, the desire is not to sin. But praise the Lord, 1 John chapter 2 says we have an advocate before the Father through when and if we do sin. Jesus Christ the righteous. Stands in our stead. Praise the Lord for that. See, the goal, 1 John chapter 3, though, is that if we have the seed of Christ in us, we do not keep on sinning. We don't keep going back to the vomit, as the proverb would say. We turn from it. Be holy. Because God is holy. He's called you to be holy. And until he comes back, we're called in 1 John chapter 3 to purify ourselves just as he is pure. Look at verse 25. When they testified and preached the word of the Lord, Peter, John, perhaps Philip, Philip had been doing it. It wouldn't surprise me if he's also included in the they. They returned to Jerusalem. Perhaps Philip returned with them. It wouldn't surprise me in light of the context in verse 26. Preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. You see, they returned doing the very same thing that Philip himself had been doing in Samaria. Preaching Christ. Preaching the gospel. Preaching the good news. All this is according to God's plan. Do we see the picture? 
It's according to God's plan. His church is moving. It's expanding. It's growing. It's bringing in these people who once were lost, once were outside, and they have now been brought in. There is a picture of unity here in Christ's church. There's a picture of being of one accord. There's a picture here of being a part of something bigger than these walls. It's moving out of Jerusalem. It's in Samaria. And praise the Lord that Samaria believed. And praise the Lord Samaria received this word. There's much discipleship going on in Samaria as Peter and John and perhaps Philip leave town. And now these folks in Samaria who once were living lives in clouds and darkness and rains and hailstones, they now too are getting to experience some sunny skies. And those sunny skies only come when one has Christ abiding in them. And the good news of this message is that even though you may be in one of those foggy situations, if you have the Spirit of Christ in you, if you have believed and received Christ, if God has opened your blind eyes and your deaf ears to be able to hear this good news message, Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by what, church? Hearing. Hearing by what? The word of God. That's how. Praise the Lord. Take the name of Jesus wherever you go. Understand that, church. Big, think big picture. I praise the Lord for the work God did in Samaria through the life of a man named Philip. I leave you with this. You as a part of Christ's church here at Hope in Christ. Perhaps you've not thought too much about what God wants to do in and through your life. But I hope from the text today, I hope you take away and maybe come to ask of the Lord, Lord, what would you have for me to do? How would you have me Work in your church. For what purpose? You see, because he's planted you here. For his purpose. His big eternal purpose. The manifold wisdom of God is being put on display in his church. Of which many of you here are a part. Ask of the Lord. What that looks like. And let's together walk in accordance with the Holy Spirit. Purifying ourselves as we have time to do so until the Lord should return. This is exciting. And you know what? This continues next week. Because the Lord's going to send Philip somewhere else next week. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for this scripture. For this message, Lord. For this good news. Father, we can walk around and there will be some periods and times of uncertainty in our lives, Lord. But we can walk in faith. Trusting in you. Holding on to you. That even through those periods of darkness, periods of uncertainty, periods of fog. Oh Lord, you are the one who lifts that fog. 
You are the one who guides our hand through the fog. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your church, of which Christ is the head. We thank you that we are citizens of heaven. We thank you, Lord, that we are part of this body of Christ. Pray, Lord, that we would see truly the big picture that you are communicating in your text. That we are a part of your church. That you have given to us gifts, talents, abilities to be used for your glory, for your purposes. That you've given to us your Holy Spirit who abides in within us forever. Points us to the very things of Christ. May it be true of us as parts of your church. That wherever we go, we would proclaim a message... Consistent with the truth that we would not get caught up in the philosophies of man and the deception, the ways of the world, but we would preach Christ and Christ alone. And for his name's sake, I pray these things. Amen.